in WNYV Whitehall Glens Falls. It's 8 o'clock. This is Northern Light for Thursday, February 29th. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. Announce the results. Eyes 115, nose 33. The bill is passed. The legislature has finalized new lines for congressional districts in New York. We'll have the details just ahead. Advocates are calling on the armed forces to better protect the mental health of service members following a recent Pentagon report on suicide rates. And two political newcomers in Plattsburgh plan to challenge the mayoral and council candidates endorsed by the city's Democratic committee. I'm excited to bring some new life to this city. City's at a crossroads, and I'm ready to bring some good vision, some good leadership, and I have a whole plan that I want to lay out for this city. We'll taste test some crepes at Tawny in Canton, and Happy Leap Day will give a shout-out to listeners on their birthday. All of that is coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by AdirondackExplorer.com and AdirondackAlmanac.com, presenting daily updated news on public policy, environmental issues, and local communities in the Adirondack Park. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. The state legislature finalized new congressional lines for the 2024 races yesterday. The new districts drawn by Democrats passed with little debate. A handful of Republican lawmakers voted in favor. The vote comes two days after Democrats rejected district lines recommended by a bipartisan redistricting commission. Republicans accused Democrats of ignoring the state's constitution, which requires the Independent Redistricting Commission, or IRC, to draw the maps. But Democratic Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty says the constitution also allows lawmakers to alter the maps if they choose to. I think that sometimes even the media forgets that the legislature still has a role. We don't have to just pass whatever the IRC passed doesn't mean that whatever the IRC passed means it's, uh, it's perfect and would not have been open to a lawsuit on its own. And so I would hope that people forget that the Constitution does leave it with the legislature to make the final say on lines. The revised lines are marginally more favorable to some Democratic incumbents and could make re-election for some Republicans more difficult. Governor Kathy Hochul issued a message of necessity to accelerate the voting because petitioning for primaries has already begun. She says she intends to expedite her review of the maps before deciding whether to sign the legislation, but she says she won't be drawn into the political arguments surrounding the lines. But as with every bill, I look at it when it's completed, I make my determination, and I'm not going to pass judgment on the process thus far. I have heard from a lot of people that it is an improvement from the point of view of one party and others. Uh, I'm not here to weigh in on the, on the political dynamic involved here. 
Observers were expecting legal challenges to the new congressional lines, but so far no Republicans have said they intend to file a lawsuit. When Democrats in the legislature approved the new congressional district lines, they also okayed legislation to limit the practice of judge shopping. Republicans who are in the minority party say the measure is retribution for their successful suit that resulted in the 2022 congressional lines drawn by Democrats being struck down. Karen DeWitt reports from Albany. The bill, approved in both houses, limits any future legal challenges to district lines drawn by the legislature in the future to just four counties. They are Albany, Erie, New York County, which encompasses Manhattan, and Westchester. Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty says the counties are all seats of the state's judicial departments, and they may have more expertise to draw on to hear the cases. We just feel that those are the four jurisdictions that are best equipped to handle these type of uh, cases. All of those counties are dominated by Democrats, including the Supreme Court judges who preside there. Republican Assembly Minority Leader Pro Tem Andy Goodell, during debate, accused Democrats of changing the rules because they lost a major court battle on redistricting to the Republicans in 2022. So this bill says if you want to stand up for the Constitution of the state of New York, you can only do it in four counties. How is that consistent with our oath of office? Are we afraid of allowing the courts to easily consider a constitutional challenge? Are we afraid because... The last time they looked at it, they ruled it was unconstitutional. Republicans filed a challenge in Steuben County, a rural region dominated by GOP lawmakers and judges. That lawsuit eventually led to the Democratic-drawn lines being thrown out by the state's highest court, who said they were unconstitutionally gerrymandered. The lines were redrawn by a court-appointed special master and are believed to have contributed to Democrats losing four seats to Republicans that year, helping the GOP gain control of the House. House. Assembly sponsor Bill Magnarelli says the change is not about political parties, but is instead about streamlining the process. He says the state already imposes those limits on election law challenges. Magnarelli says it would also prevent anyone from taking advantage by filing a lawsuit where they believe a judge may be more sympathetic to their cause. This is a way to curtail shopping for a judge. Here you wouldn't be able to do that. You go to a certain uh, place, you know where to go, and the administrative law judge would then pick the judge that has to preside over that case. But GOP Assemblywoman Mary Beth Walsh says the bill actually does the opposite of that. Well, with all due respect, it appears that this bill is doing the shopping for us. This bill is, uh, is choosing those four counties where you're going to be drawing from. The measure next goes to Governor Kathy Hochul, who can sign or veto it. Hochul spokesman Avi Small, in a statement just before the vote was taken, said only that the governor will review the legislation if it passes both houses. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt for the New York Public News Network. public housing organization in Potsdam plans to add more than 100 units to its housing stock. According to the Watertown Daily Times, the Potsdam Housing Authority hopes to build 
four three-story buildings on Racket Road. They'd house 132 apartments that range from one to three bedrooms. Executive Director Robert Santamore says the authority also plans to renovate 100 existing units. The Times reports the Housing Authority plans to seek state money to support the project and bond the remaining funding. The project could be completed in 18 months. Governor Hochul says every school in New York that wants a mental health clinic can get one. Hochul launched a $20 million expansion of school-based mental health clinics this week. She said the goal is to serve about 355,000 children at 225 sites statewide by 2027. Whether it's depression or sadness or uh, whatever self body image challenges, whatever they're dealing with now, if we can solve it now and help them have the coping skills now, they'll lead a better life later, a healthier life. The application process for schools interested in opening clinics will be held on a rolling basis. Hochul is also launching a governor's youth mental health advisory board consisting of middle and high school students. She wants students with an interest or experience in mental health to apply now. Mental health is a big issue for teens and for members of the military. This next story deals with suicide. It's about four minutes long. A Pentagon report has found that more than 20% of military suicides involve troops who are being disciplined or experiencing other legal or administrative problems. Advocates are calling on the armed forces to better protect the mental health of service members accused of major and minor infractions. From Norfolk, Steve Walsh reports for the American Homefront Project. Whether it's depression or sadness. In 2021, Seaman Michael Gregg was stationed on the USS Eisenhower in Norfolk. He had been in and out of the Naval Hospital at Portsmouth after he was diagnosed with mental health issues and had thoughts of suicide. Stephen Carpenter is the family attorney. This kid had some serious mental health issues. I had discussed the fact that it was not a case of malingering because there was actually diagnostic testing that was done by a physician. But Carpenter says the Navy threatened to charge Greg with desertion while he was in treatment. It put him on 60 days restriction, forcing him to stay on the ship. You have to now serve out your restriction on the same boat that's causing you all this consternation and angst and all these bad feelings about harming yourself. You know, bottom line is it's ridiculous. Carpenter was able to intervene, reversing the 60-day restriction and get Greg eventually separated from the Navy. But he says he's had at least five other military clients who died by suicide over the 20 years he has been practicing in Northern Virginia. All were involved in legal or administrative fights at the time. I think commanders are typically very concerned about one thing and one thing only, which is good or discipline. In fact, the Pentagon's independent report says nearly a quarter of all suicides in the military in 2021 are people who have experienced legal or administrative challenges in the last year. It doesn't have to be a serious legal issue, says Pat Casarda. His son Brandon died by intentionally walking into the tail rotor of a helicopter in Norfolk in 2019. Brandon had been trying to transfer out of the unit when he was told he would face a disciplinary review board over a minor infraction. It was a huge contributor. They feel like a failure. They're scared. Their goals are over. Their dreams are over. They're shattered. All that stuff goes into this. A Navy investigation showed that after the suicide, an abusive lead petty officer was transferred instead of prosecuted to get him out of the unit more quickly. You got to lay the law and show it won't be tolerated. And these people need to go away to include a Navy. Admirals, generals, they need to go away. 
Michael Waddington is a civilian attorney in Norfolk and a former Army attorney who specializes in military cases. He's also had more than one client kill themselves. It usually happens when the person feels there's no hope. They get shunned from the unit. You come in our investigation, one minute you're like this superstar or just like a team player. You have some camaraderie. Next minute an allegation comes down, uh, they flag you. A soldier or sailor's professional life is on hold during the investigation, he says. They're often reassigned to less favorable duty. His clients often don't trust the mental health staff who can be called to testify or report to command. There is no actual mental health resources available for these people. So I think an independent, someone who is not part of the chain of command, psychiatric, psychological counseling resources to help with people that are under court-martial could go a long way. Right now, the Air Force is the only service with a consistent mental health policy for troops caught up in the legal system, says Rajiv Ramshed, who worked on the Pentagon study. The Air Force has strategies for commanders on how to better integrate people into a checklist of when people are under investigation, how to reintegrate them into the unit, how to you know, care for them, how to kind of accommodate them during this period of administration limbo. The report recommends that each service adopt a policy for handling clients involved in the justice system. In Norfolk, Virginia, I'm Steve Walsh. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is a hotline for individuals in crisis or for those looking to help someone else. To speak with a certified listener, call 988. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. It's 14 minutes past 8. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Coming up, we're crazy for crepes at Tawny. That's in just a few minutes here on Northern Light. music by Ben Sharon in Watertown. You can check out more of Ben's music and many regional artists. Visit the Underscore Project on our website ncpr.org slash underscore. Northern Light is supported by Cronin's Golf Resort, a regional destination for golf, dining, and lodging in the Southern Adirondacks. Details at Cronin'sGolfResort.com. On Monday night,
state, Plattsburgh's Democratic Committee endorsed its candidate for mayor, Wendell Hughes. Hughes decided to seek the city's top position after current mayor Chris Rosenquist decided to step down at the end of his term. But over the weekend, another Democrat stepped up to challenge Hughes in a primary. Karen uh, Kara Chapman reports. Dan Lennon spoke with reporters on City Hall steps Monday. I'm excited to bring some new life to this city. The city's at a crossroads, and I'm ready to bring some good vision, some good leadership, and I have a whole plan that I want to lay out for this city. Lennon most recently worked as an assistant district attorney for Clinton County. He says he resigned to avoid a conflict of interest while running for mayor. Lennon is 29, and he's never held public office. He says his top priorities are public safety, housing and development, and restoring the city's recreation department, which was eliminated several years ago. That last one is personal for him. The Peru High School graduate and former cross-country state champion went to Syracuse University on a running scholarship. I'm a small-town kid from a modest family. We had modest income. College didn't seem attainable for me, but through my running career, I was able to open some doors that I would have never thought were possible. Lennon says he thinks it's inappropriate for the city's Democratic committee to endorse a candidate before the primary. He points to how, in the last mayoral election, the committee endorsed then-Mayor Colin Reed, who lost the nomination. The winner, Chris Rosenquist, went on to win the general election. Lennon says missing the mark on endorsements makes the Democratic Party look disorganized. I don't think it should be the party's choice. It should be the voters' choice. And the voters do seem to be jaded by what the Democratic Party has done. Wendell Hughes, the other mayoral candidate, agrees that it's up to the voters. But he says the committee is required by its bylaws to make endorsements before petition gathering starts. He says changing that time frame is a conversation that comes up every year. You know, if the majority of the committee wants to change that, that isn't always an option, right? Still, Hughes says he likes how the current endorsement process works. So does city party chair Susan Moore. She says it doesn't make sense for the committee to wait until after the primary to endorse. That's kind of the point. We're usually the committee people you know, know know these people and get to find out more about them and what they're doing and what they're about. And we base our, you know, decisions and our recommendations on that. So far, the city's Republicans have yet to put forward candidates for mayor or two council seats up for election in November. The Democrats have endorsed incumbent councilors Elizabeth Gibbs and Jeff Moore for re-election. Jeff Moore is party chair Susan Moore's husband. Amy Colleen plans to challenge Councillor Moore in the primary. She's currently the chief financial officer at the North Country Center for Independence, a nonprofit that advocates for people with disabilities. Like Lennon, Colleen is a political newcomer, something she views as a strength. She says it means that as she campaigns, she's learning, listening, and meeting people where they are. I think that's a value right now. Our city council has been divisive and just the relationships that are there. We haven't moved the needle in a lot of ways that I I think that could change if the dynamics changed on the council. So I'm hoping to be part of that. The petition gathering process started on Tuesday. Candidates for any office have until early April to gather and file signatures to get on the June primary ballot. Kara Chapman, North Country Public Radio, Plattsburgh. And a new smartphone app aims to help Jefferson County residents and visitors better prepare for emergencies. It's called Prepare Jefferson County NY. And and its features provide information about how to get ready for emergencies and disasters. Users can also report storm damage and learn more about public health programs and services. All residents and visitors are encouraged to download the app. It's available for free on the App Store and Google Play.
You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. In just a minute, Into the Kitchen and the new Newberry Cafe at Tawny in Canton. Then stick around after the show for Bird Note coming up at 842. But first, Todd has a look at the weather for us. The weather service says today winds will diminish. Uh, We'll see some sun, a mix of sun and clouds. Highs ranging from the upper teens into the low 20s. So still a bit chilly out there. Winds out of the west-northwest occasional gusts up to 30, 35 miles per hour at times. Lows tonight, uh, probably in the teens, low 20s. And then tomorrow, highs 40s with the mix of sun and clouds again on Friday. Light winds out of the south. Saturday, highs near 50 with maybe some scattered snow or rain showers uh, on and off on Saturday. Sunday, partly sunny skies, highs in the 50s, could see a high near 60 Monday and Tuesday of next week. So again, today, mix of sun and clouds, highs over teens and low 20s, wind gusts out of the west, still up to about 30, 40 miles per hour. Right now in Canton, a mix of sun and clouds and 14 degrees. Every third Wednesday of the month, traditional arts in upstate New York and Canton will feature culinary artist André Commandant bringing crepes and coffee to guests. André grew up near Saint-Antienne, home to the first train line in France. He says a mainstay were crepe booths strategically located near tramway stops. A little pocket change could buy you a fresh, warm, and perfectly chewy crepe with a sprinkling of sugar. Yeah, Andre will be serving the crepes along with quiches and tea and coffee in Tawny's The Newbury Cafe. The Tawny Center is located in the former Newberry's, a beloved store that served generations of Canton residents. For now, it will be once a month, but Tawny Executive Director Joshua Vink says the Newbury Cafe could expand depending on the popularity. We felt like that would be a fitting name, the Newberry Cafe. And so crepes and coffee is really about focusing on the culinary arts because sometimes that can be secondary or tertiary in our thought when it comes to artistic work. And so thinking about the traditions of cooking in kitchens, why not? That's so tawny. So we've had a history of doing that in our kitchen and we've got this really beautiful custom uh, modern kitchen and why not be able to take it to maybe a little bit of the next level. My name is Andre Commandant, and we are at the Tony Center. I am making French crepes, and there'll be a variety of toppings, ranging from chocolate and banana to local jams. And then we also have a savory option with two types of quiches. Uh, Back in the day, no longer, unfortunately, but there used to be these crepe booths in every city. And for a few francs, you could buy this large crepe that would come with toppings. And it was very cheap and and everywhere. So that was a great way to spend a few bucks. And then at home, this is something you would do almost weekly. Uh, It's just so simple, but it's delicious. What's the secret to a crepe? Because I think Americans kind of think, ooh, I don't know if I can try that. Well, the the, the secret... (laughs) Light batter and... I've come to realize is patience. It's all about temperature. The batter itself is really simple, but there's two things. The batter needs to rest, preferably overnight, and then the pan needs to come to the right temperature. And once you put the batter, you have to wait for the, the edges to crisp up. Otherwise, when you flip it, it's going to fall apart. And so it's not really about patience for me. 
So now we see some bubbles, maybe yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So that's a good sign, right? That the the battery is, is nice and fluffy. Yeah. So your plan is once a month you're going to make For drinks. Now. Yeah. You... So we'll start with once a month. This is very much an experiment. We're figuring things out. So um, depending on time availability and how things go, we'll start one month and then maybe twice a month with one weekend opening. Tell me about the toppings that you've got. Are they traditional or are they kind of a, a North Country variation? Well, I would like to say it's traditional with North Country twist. Huh. Uh, right? The banana and chocolate is very traditional. Uh, sugar and lemon also. It's a complete classic. But we are, as much as possible, tr- going to try to feature uh, local ingredients. Right. So we have local jams. Uh, we could bring local maple syrup. We could bring other local favorites and so I think eventually the goal is to have seasonal uh, fruits right we can get from the farmers markets so on and so forth so it's always going to be focused on investing in the community and that's one of the goals of this uh, this cafe could be sweet could be sa- could they could be savory yeah and too? so the offering of crepes could also vary right so these are sweet crepes right yeah. they're not really meant for savory toppings yeah. but uh, they are crepe styles that are much more uh, much better for for savory toppings which we'll explore eventually have you ever done this before have you because you said you you were a customer you you bought them in france no no this is (laughs) completely new for me i'm i'm used to cooking at home all the time but uh, cooking in this context is, is quite different so it's an experiment for everyone i think When he's not making crepes at Tawny, Andre is a research scientist for the University of Southern California, and fortunately, he's able to work remotely and spend time here in the North Country with his family, exploring the outdoors and cooking. And you'll find more information about the Newbury Cafe at Tawny on their website, tawny.org. It's coming up on 826. You're listening to Northern Light right here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Monica Sandresky here with Todd Moe. And today is February 29th, with, which only comes every four years. So earlier this week, Todd asked listeners to send in happy birthday wishes for leap year babies. And lots of folks responded. Some gave more details than others, but we're wishing all of them a very happy birthday today. Celebration. Happy birthday to Matilda Kovac, Justin Fisher, Mike West, Helen Vale of Paseco, Alexandra Rivera, a former NCPR intern who's t- on the Today Show today as a leap year baby, Jean <laughs> Benvenuto of Potsdam, Karen Sandresky. If that, that sounds familiar, <laughs> that's my sister in Washington, D.C. She's turning 11 today. Happy leap year birthday to Leanna Bailey, Jack Hampton, Jane Barrett, NCPR's 
favorite book reviewer, Betsy Capus. Happy Sweet 16, yes. Betsy. Craig Todd, who grew up on, uh, in Canton and now works as an ER doctor in Albany. He's celebrating his 52nd. That would be his 13th birthday. Also, Oliver Hughes. Um, is turning 16 or four years old, lives in Essex and Willsboro. Lindsay Turner in Saranac Lake, Christine LaFleur, and uh, the brother of a listener, Dominique in Villeneuve-sur-Lot in France. It's a celebration. It's a celebration. <laughs> Seth Davis in Moncton, Vermont, who is turning 40, the big 4-0. Ayana Hartley, who turns six today. Ayana is an alumna and now an employee of St. Lawrence University. Happy 11th birthday to James Hoos of Potsdam from your brother, Jonathan. And finally, Byron Whitney in Potsdam said we couldn't forget Frederick, the pirate apprentice from Pirates of Penzance. Of course. <laughs> Happy birthday, leap year babies. Celebrate. It's 829. You're listening to Northern Light. We never have any fun on this show. Never. Yes. We're never dancing in the studio <laughs> to the music. The good music continues this afternoon with String Fever with Barb Heller for the best acoustic and bluegrass music in the North Country, plus a dance set and the latest of bluegrass releases. Join Barb Heller for String Fever this afternoon between 3 and 5 o'clock right here on NCPR. But before that, don't forget to tune in for the Marketplace Morning Report at 8.51 for their continuing series on news deserts in uh, in the United States. That's between 8.51 and 9 right here on NCPR. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. Thank you so much for listening. Be well.